Hello and welcome to a new series of Fastener Talk, presented by Fastener and Fixing magazine. I am still the host and editor Will Lowry, and my co-host is still the ever-cheery deputy editor Claire Aldridge. Hi Claire. Hi Will. How was your Christmas? Christmas was as good as it could have been, thank you. But what can I say? New year, new lockdown. But on a positive note, a new year does bring in some good news at least, which is a new podcast. Um, As regular listeners will know, the aim of our series of podcasts is to make it easier to keep up to date with the latest news within the fastener and fixing sector. But before I go on any further, Will, you won't stop me from talking. I forgot to ask you, how was your Christmas? Yeah, I had noticed that. Um, Similar (laughs) to most people, mine was a little quiet. But the same cannot be said about the goings on within the fastener industry. It has been a very busy period. One of the biggest talking points that has happened was just before Christmas when the European Commission announced an anti-dumping investigation into imports of certain iron or steel fasteners in the People's Republic of China. In our industry news section, we have highlighted the CN product codes involved in the investigation as well as the time period covered. To add to this, we also invited EFI, the European Industrial Fasteners Institute, and EFTA, the European Fastener Distributors Association, to comment on the investigation. Whilst EFI preferred not to comment, EFTA has provided a thought-provoking article on the investigation. Another big topic impacting the fastener supply chain at the moment is the shortage of shipping containers. Again, in industry news, we have an article from the British and Irish Association of Fastener Distributors that looks at how the container crisis is forcing up freight costs and exasperating other cost drivers. After so many long association names, I need a drink of water. So can you tell us more about the cover story for this issue? Of course, a very important couple of articles there and a busy start to the year. Our cover story for this issue uh, is from Nordlock Group, who look at the role infrastructure projects play within society. As well as this, we also spoke to Frederick Muller, who's a CEO at Nordlock Group, who explained to us why Nordlock washers are so commonly used in these infrastructure projects. It makes for a good cover story. It does. Uh, What other feature articles have you been working on this issue? Well, a big development within the UK market is the introduction of the new UKCA mark, which was introduced as of the 1st of January 2021. I spoke to Kevin Fruin, Global Head of Construction Practices at BSI, about the introduction of the UKCA mark and what it means for both UK and European companies. Here is Kevin giving a brief explanation of what the UKCA mark is and how it is being introduced. And the UKCA mark is a mark that's effectively going to replace the CE mark here in the UK as a result of Brexit. Um, for the whole of next year, manufacturers can place products on the UK market using CE marking, or they can use the UKCA mark. Um, and the route for getting CE marking um, for the whole of next year has to be through an EU 27 notified body. They can't use a UK notified body because as of 1st of January, we won't exist. Our status changes from a notified body to an approved body. And the documents that we produce will then support UK CA marking. Um, but they won't obviously uh, support CE marking. You have to get that from an EU27 notified body. 
So manufacturers can use either for the whole of next year, but at the beginning of 2022, as it stands at the moment, the only route for placing the product on the market in Great Britain, um, as of 2022 going forwards, you can only do that with the UKCA mark on it. Within the article, we also discuss how companies will know if their products will be impacted, as well as what the new UKCA mark means for those UK products that have already received CE marking. It's an interesting read for sure, and a definite must-read for UK and European companies who are looking to sell into the Great British market after Brexit. Yes, and the exclusives for the Insight feature don't stop there. We also have another article from Jürgen Rossengren, President and CEO at Bufab Group. Whilst 2020 has been a challenging year for a lot of companies within the fastener sector, Bufab managed to report its best ever net profit for a single quarter in Q3 of 2020, thanks in part to its three-stage COVID-19 strategy. The article therefore focuses on the protect restart and invest stages of the strategy and how they played out for the company. Whilst not included in the article, I also discussed Bufab's acquisition strategy with Mr Rossengren. Here he is discussing the strategy and what will happen to it going forward. Bufab previously had a kind of acquisition strategy uh, over recent years where it's added businesses that have made a good fit with, with the Bufab group. Do you see that continuing going 2021 and, and onwards, if, if you do find the right right partnerships? Uh, absolutely. Uh, we, we've made, I think, Bifab has made approximately 50 acquisitions since, since its inception. And we've made uh, something like 10 or so in the past five years. And, um, you know, ours is a very fragmented industry. There are many, many uh, companies, big and small, who do similar things that we do. And some of them come to, a, most of them are family companies, family-owned businesses. And some of them then come to a point where they say, we would like to, this business to continue because we like it, it's our baby, uh, it's, it's, we want it, want it to thrive and to continue to develop, but we want to change our ownership because of a generational issue or some other issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we are always interested to be part of such a conversation if it's a strong company, if we feel we can make it grow faster inside BFUB than outside BFUB, and if we can have a, a win-win deal with, uh, with existing owners. You know, there are hundreds, maybe thousands of companies out there where we, we see absolutely no reason why that would stop. Quite the contrary. In fact, we made two rather large acquisitions in 2019. One large one in, in Denmark, a very good company, HK Bendix, and um, another... Uh, also large company in the U.S. with operations in California and six, seven other states as well. And uh, those two acquisitions have developed phenomenally well this year, mm-hmm. uh, except in April and May and June. We're parking that uh, phenomenally well, and, and uh, that just uh, increases our appetite, I guess. It's really great to hear these clips, Will, and hear our interviewees' voices. It certainly makes a difference hearing somebody else's dulcet tones. Yes, that's true. And uh, obviously they are recorded over Zoom, so the quality isn't to the high standards we would like. But I feel they do offer some additional insight. Um, What else do we have in this issue? 
Well, something that I've been working on is our chemical anchor and resins feature. We have an article from Rawplug who takes us through the A to Z of bonded anchors and explains why these bonded anchors are the most versatile of all anchoring technologies. As well as this, Will, you also spoke to Fisher for an exclusive interview as part of this feature, right? Yes, I spoke to Metahan Aribanu, International Technical Support Engineer for Construction Products at Fisher, who discusses the development of chemical anchors and how they have become key solutions for applications within the construction sector. It makes for a good article. Again, I do have another clip, this time of Metahan explaining the importance of cleaning the holes prior to installing chemical anchors. key part of a lot of chemical anchors is the importance of the cleaning prior to installation. Yes, exactly. That's why we are really sensitive on it. We are informing our customers in every way. Even on the boxes, you can see the installation instructions. We are also including the installation instructions in our design calculation reports, always. It's default. Mm -hmm. And then what we do is we have site engineers, field engineers worldwide. In every subsidiary, we have field engineers. So these people are going to site and training the applicators, especially infrastructures. It's a must. Yes. You have to certify the applicators. You have to certify that these are qualified applicators because we have to assure that the cleaning is properly done. Even if it's not done, it can be defined by testing. That's why there is also site testing procedures that you have to test randomly according to the application size and area, according to BS standard, pull the anchors. And if you see that it's not enough and then you can see how cleaning is made after the failure of the anchor. When it comes out, you can see if it's not sticking to, if it's not bonding to concrete. Mm -hmm. And if there's no cone, if there's too much dust on the epoxy mortar, which is, which creates debonding, and then you can see that cleaning is not done properly. Mm -hmm. But we have applications, for example, for overhead without cleaning. We have hollow driblets, for example, which don't need cleaning. With the hollow driblet, when you it's just connected to a um, vacuum cleaner. Yeah. Then when you drill, you just suck the dust out. Or we have mortars which can be used even when there is standing water inside the hole. Okay. For example, for CM Plus, and even we have made some underwater applications. There were two projects I remember in Dubai and in Istanbul, for example. The project in Dubai was removing the rocks out of is from the sea. Mm -hmm. So they have anchored the rebars to the rocks with our CM Plus mortar, and then they have pulled them out. And in Istanbul, it was a jetty extension at the Bosphorus. Mm -hmm. So the divers have applied. Divers are applying this, so inside the water, you just drill the hole and then inject the material inside, and yeah, it works. So, we are also enhancing the products. Anyway, enough of me playing my clips. You have one for yourself, Claire. I do indeed. I actually had the pleasure of speaking to Mikel Zaldua from Saspi, who are actually celebrating their 60th anniversary this year. I spoke to him just before Christmas and we discussed the development of thread rolling over these 60 years. 
Uh, here's a clip. Would you say that there have been many changes to the machinery that in that time? Is, is thread rolling still the same now as it was 60 years ago? Of course not. I mean, we, uh, we have implemented uh, many, many new technologies on the machines. Uh, even the, the basic are the same, how the, the, the fasteners are produced, but the, the, the machines, they have changed a lot, as well as the requirements of the market have changed a lot, uh, requirements as quality, productivity requirements, so they, they have changed they have changed a lot. Um, in the uh, 80s, 90s, the people, uh, the, the operators of the machines, they were more uh, used to uh, deal and, and fight with with machines because of the quality of the machinery at that at that time. So you have always uh, they were operators, and also every operator was uh, a little bit of a mechan with some mechanical skills. So they also have to to take care of the the machine, like like cars. Like nowadays, you uh, everybody buys a, a new car and nobody touches the, the car. But uh, 20, 30 years ago, you buy a car and you you did as much as uh, mechanical checks and changes as possible in your car. But right now, I think the the, the changes are are similar to the to the car market on on machinery. That's all our clips for today, but back by popular demand, as ever, is your editor's pick, Will, and in true William Lowry style, you're defying the rules once again to include not just one individual article, but an entire section. I'm getting full named, I must be in trouble, but as always, it's it's for a good reason, I promise. Um, for 2021, we have introduced a new section within the magazine that will focus on fastener testing and the machinery and tests involved to ensure that fasteners reach the quality requirements and standards needed across every industry sector, which is why I've picked it as my editor's pick. So why was the decision made to bring in this new section of the magazine? Well, the demand from customers for more testing and the need to meet extra requirements and revised standards is growing within the fastener industry for both manufacturers and distributors. So that is why we look to introduce it. Over the next 12 months, we will focus on metallurgical testing, hardness testing, mechanical testing, performance and application testing, corrosion and coating thickness testing, and dimensional testing, to name just a few. For this issue, we have an excellent article from Rotec Laboratories that looks at the nuts and bolts of metallurgical testing. Speaking of nuts and bolts, and rounding off our issue quite nicely, is our product section for the January issue. It is burst into the brims with not just one special feature, but two. Firstly, our stainless steel feature with articles from Lederer, Javika, as well as Boomax. And the companies look at their latest products and why they're suited for use in environments where the corrosion of fasteners is particularly high, therefore requiring a fastener that is corrosion resistant. We also have the torque wrench feature, which includes an article from Norbar Torque Tools on selecting and using a manual torque wrench, as in those that require no form of power source other than that of the user. 
And we also have an article from UK-based HTL Group who also explain how to choose the correct torque wrench for an application. Not bad for the first edition of the year. Yeah, and as ever, we're already looking ahead at the next issue. We just never sleep. You know what they say, there's no rest for the wicked. Um, So I suppose all that's left to say really is thanks for listening to another episode of Fastener Talk.